Okay. All right, so as mentioned, we finished up our study on prayer last week, and uh, we're going to be starting a study on ministering spirits, or what the Bible has to say about angels. And we had a study about this a few months ago, or a few years ago, actually. So there might have been a couple of you in here then, but uh, I think it'll be a good review. It was well-received then. I got a lot of comments about how it was a good study, and hopefully it'll be something that's uplifting for you. Uh, after my joke bomb last week, I was kind of hesitant to come up with a joke this week. Uh, you know, when you, I, I guess you can understand when you're in front of a bunch of people and you tell a joke and you don't hear anything, you feel a little stupid, you know? So uh, I had to try to come up with something, and I, I was looking and looking, and I finally decided I'm going to tell a joke about boxing. But uh, for the life of me, I cannot remember the punchline. Anyway, sorry about that. All right. Yeah, that, that's a punch to the gut probably, isn't it? Okay. All right, so uh, talking about angels, you know, the subject of angels is a popular one, right? You hear a lot about angels in our media. Uh, there's a lot of books been written about angels, right? And uh, a lot of things we've seen in the movies and in TV about angels. You remember a show a few years ago called Touched by an Angel? which I, th I thought was a pretty good show. I, I, you know, it didn't necessarily depict angels the way they should be depicted, and we'll look at that in our study, but I thought it was a wholesome show. You're not like what a lot of the stuff you see today, right, on TV. And, of course, everybody's seen It's a Wonderful Life, right? And uh, what's the phrase? What teacher says, every time you hear a bell rings, angel gets its wings, right? Which is a neat little thing, and, and of course, when you see that at the end of the throne of life, you know, usually you got tears rolling down your eyes, you know, and you're very emotional about it. But it's not true, okay? It doesn't happen. We can tell that by the scripture. We're going to look at that. <laughs> Sorry if I burst your bubble on that. And that's a neat little story, and that's fine. But there's a lot of things out there that are told about angels and so forth that are simply just not scriptural. They're, they're myths, they're fables, you might say. They're things that we can't glean that from scripture. You know, somebody's made that up, and we're going to look into all that. We do know, though, that angels are a very important part of our spiritual lives, right? Uh, the Jews, they were, they were very, a very big part of the Jewish religion, okay? Uh, it's mentioned many times how they were instrumental in uh, speaking to the, the patriarchs, Abraham. They came to Daniel. We read about that. And they were also instrumental in delivering the law of Moses. If you wish, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 33. And let's read a couple of scriptures from there talking about this in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 33, and let's begin in verse 1. He says, Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Perrin, and he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. And that's a word translated saints. That's a word translated as messenger or angel. And we don't necessarily get that picture when we're reading about the account of the law being given at Sinai, right? Oh, yeah, you have the, the fire and the lightning and the thunder and all that on the mountain, and we see that but we don't necessarily know that the heavenly host came with him. We see that here in Deuteronomy 33, that there are angels with him along, the heavenly host, the saints that were there at that time as well. So they're very prominent in the Jewish religion. 
They appear throughout history of Israel. As I said, coming to many of the patriarchs, Abraham we know, Daniel. We have a lot of examples in Daniel of the angels appearing to him. Angels also serve an important role in our present-day Christian lives, do they not? Do we read about angels in the New Testament? Sure, we sure do. We have a lot of scriptures. In fact, let's start with one. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 1, and let's see something that we can read from Hebrews chapter 1 about angels. (laughs) In that first chapter there, uh, starting in verse uh, 13, we'll read, this is a Hebrew writer dealing with, with Christ. Of course, you know the theme of Hebrews, talking about Christ is better. Christ is our high priest. Christ is our mediator. Christ is better than anything you could, un, you could have in the Jewish religion or in the world today. Verse 13, he says, But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? I think it's an interesting two verses. One of the things he's dealing with is there, Jesus was better than the angels. He's saying that because, obviously, some of the Jews revered the angels so highly that they didn't consider who Jesus really was, right? And the Hebrew writer is making that point. Jesus is higher than the angels. Did the angels go and sit at the right hand of God when he ascended into heaven? No. They are here to help us. They are here to minister to those who are receiving salvation. In other words, they're here to minister to the children of God. And who are the children of God? Us. Believers. Those who have been baptized into Christ and risen anew to a new life. Interesting concept. He's saying that the angels are here to help us. They're here to minister to us. And thus, the name of our study, Ministering Spirits. We're going to talk a lot about that and how they work in our lives and the different types of angels. (laughs) They are described as ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who are seeking or inheriting salvation. And they've been around in the past. Turn over to Luke chapter 1. Let's read a few verses from that book. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to begin in about verse 11. And see what we have to say here. It says, Then the angel of the Lord, notice what he said there, an angel of the Lord, appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready ready a people prepared for the Lord. Here we have the angel coming to Zacharias Elizabeth to give them the message that they're about to have a child. Of course, Zacharias, remember, doesn't believe it, so he's stricken dumb, right? He can't speak because he didn't believe it. Eventually, that changes because he understands what's happening a little better, and he's able to speak again when the child's born. Here we have an angel delivering a message. This is in the past, right? Interesting concept. Turn over to Matthew chapter 13, 
and see if we can glean something else about these angels, <coughs> particularly more perhaps in the future. Matthew chapter 13 and uh, verse 36. Jesus then sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Hmm. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Angels are going to be involved in the return interesting right they're going to be involved in the judgment they're going to be gathering the good and evil and they're going to be working and they'll be part of that the destruction of the earth eventually they're all going to be there when this occurs interesting thing to think about right we don't think about the heavenly host being involved with that so much right we just think about christ's return it's going to be the case but what to extent what to extent do uh, these angels minister us today in the present. How they how they uh, work in our lives. Uh, this, of course, is a subject that's prone to a lot of um, speculation, right? Like I said, we see a lot of stuff in the media. You know, we we've got an angel. You know, or oh, she's such an angel. She's such a goody goody. We think of angels being used as a word to describe someone that's good, that's a good a doer, right? Someone who's sweet. Someone who's uh, friendly, not so much uh, in a spiritual sort of thing, but in a, in a physical, uh, human way, right? We think of angels like that. And it's easy to get caught up in myths and fables about uh, angels and so forth. First Timothy 1, Paul warns Timothy not to get caught up in fables and, uh, we, you know, strange stories things that people are preaching perhaps that are not true but to stay true to the truth stay true to the what he know, what he knows as truth angels are biblical subjects though and they need to be considered so before we get into a deep study and we will as we go through a deep study of different types of angels different things about angels we want to go over some of the terms and things like that that we're dealing with here so we can kind of help us understand the word angel comes from the Old Testament from the Hebrew word malak or malak. I think in Hebrew it's malak, something like that. And it's found 103 times in the Old Testament. And it simply means messenger, someone bringing a message. And if you look through all those 103 instances of the word, you can see it used in a few different ways besides just a heavenly being. 1 Kings 19, it can refer to a human messenger, Jezebel sent a malak or malak to elijah in first kings 19 and verse 2 that's the word that's used there haggai refers to it as the prophet haggai in haggai chapter 1 it's applied to the prophet haggai as being the lord's malak or messenger right uh, it's also applied in malachi 2 to a priest being a priest or a messenger malachi 3 it's applied to both john the baptist 
And Jesus in prophecy, not in name, but in prophecy of the ones who were to come. And actually, the book of Malachi takes its name from the word Malak, or Malak. And so Malachi, the prophet, was named as a messenger. A, you might even say he was an angel. His name is, from an, is meaning an angel, right? So it's a very interesting term, very interesting concept, and it's used in several different ways. Of course, it can refer to the divine messenger, a supernatural or heavenly being sent as a messenger to men. We read about that in Genesis and several of the stories. Angels were uh, sent to carry out the will of God. In the Greek, the word is simply angelos, right? Angelos means messenger as well in the Greek. And in the New Testament, it's used 175 times. <laughs> of actual men, it's used six times in the New Testament. And there are many other terms that we might see in the New Testament that uh, are applied to angels. And, and in the Old Testament, actually. Look over to Job. Let's turn back over there. I want to read the beginning of that book to see what we can see about some words used for angels. Job 1, and beginning of verse 1, says, <clears throat> There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoga box, and 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on the appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and would, he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Here we have a description of a very devout man living before the time of the patriarchs, living before the law of Moses, Offering sacrifices, as was his custom, and, for, and sacrifices for his sons as well, in case they had sinned. And then in verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. This, the scene changes here, right? And Satan also among them, and the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Here we have a reference to the sons of God, right? That's another phrase to simply mean the heavenly host, those who are with God in heaven. We've been talking about Satan coming in there and coming before him. So that's a concept that we have of how God lives in heaven and how Satan is going to challenge him in regard to his great servant Job. And you know that if you know the story of Job, he goes on to allow him to do some things to Job, but he can't kill him. He allows him to cause great uh, plagues to come on him. His children are killed. His livestock is all taken away. Eventually, he causes great boils to come on his body, and Job never sins, even though his wife says, you know, you know, just curse God and die, man. Come on. But the point there I'm trying to get is, this is a heavenly host. It's talked about many times in the Scripture, and it's used in different phrases, but that's what we're talking about here. Those angels, those heavenly beings. In Psalm 89, uh, we read about the holy ones, okay? Suggesting that they are holy or set apart. They're sanctified by God. They belong to God, just like we do, right? 
just like children of God, how we're sanctified, how we're set apart. Turn over to Daniel chapter 4, and let's read a couple of uh, phrases from that book. We had a study of Daniel a few years ago, too, and it's a very good study. Daniel is such a descriptive book when it comes to the supernatural or heavenly beings, especially in the last six chapters. But turn to Daniel chapter 4. I want to read what he's talking about, something he talks about here, beginning in verse, uh, let's go to verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10. He said, there were the visions of my head while in my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of heavens dwelt in its branches, and all the flesh was fed from it. And I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. And he cried aloud and said, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Here we have a vision to Daniel of a watcher, someone in heaven in that vision looking down, perhaps watching over what's going on on the earth in a vision. Another word that's used in the Old Testament for what we would consider to be a heavenly being or an angel. Also in 1 Samuel, uh, we can read about the host, which can likely include angels, the heavenly host. And then in the New Testament, if you want to turn over to 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to read about a type of angel. And if I can get over there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> and begin in verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that he, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord by no means precede those who are asleep. Talking about the second coming. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Here we have a word used for an angel, but an archangel, a little bit different, perhaps denoting a hierarchy, a level, right? And who would these be? Well, let's turn over to Jude and see what we can glean from there. Jude, uh, verse 9. Jude, verse 9. Actually, look back at verse 8. It says, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling execution, accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Oh. So here we have a little uh, uh, phrase here that gives us a name of an archangel, Michael. Michael is an archangel. For some reason, he's denoted as being something a little different than the rest of the angels. Somehow he maybe is a... a higher level uh, perhaps he's uh, like a general over an army of angels not really sure what all that means but he is denoted as something different so we have that phrase then in uh, Daniel 
chapter 10, if you'll turn back over there. I should have read this while we were over there. Sorry about that. But if you want to go back to Daniel chapter 10, I'll read it for you in other phrases in the Old Testament. <laughs> Dealing with angels. Daniel chapter 10, uh, let's see, verse 12. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Here we have some other phrases. Princes, chief princes, uh, great prince. And it's interesting how uh, one, the angel that came to Daniel was detained and had to have the help of Michael. The archangel that we know from Jude. Interesting concept, right? Turn over to the New Testament in Colossians chapter 1. Let's read a few other verses about angels that Paul refers to. Colossians chapter 1. And look in uh, verse 15. Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So here we have some terms that Paul uses to refer to heavenly beings, perhaps. Principalities, powers, those with dominion, thrones. Not really sure what all that means, but that looks like words that are referring to angels or at least heavenly beings. And sometimes these are distinguished from angels. Turn over to uh, Romans chapter 8. Let's see something there that Paul talks about. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. Paul says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here we have Paul referring to angels as perhaps not being good. Right? There's something there that is in conflict with those who are being saved. So we have ministering spirits who are here to help us, and then there are other angels, heavenly beings, whatever, that are not so good. And we have Paul referring to that. And he's saying that's our fight. That's who we are up against. In fact, if you turn over back to Colossians and took a look at uh, chapter 2, he even goes on to talk about that there in verse uh, 15. Actually, yeah, 15, 2 and 15, Colossians 2 and 15, he says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over, over them in it. So here we have some reference to messengers or angels or heavenly beings that are not so good. So, it comes apparent pretty much, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about angels. Uh, more about angels can be gleaned from the Bible as we consider some descriptions, though. And let's look at those as we're going through this. Hebrews 1.14, of course, we already read that, called angels spirits, ministering spirits, right? Suggesting that they do not have a, a physical body or a fleshly body, right? And then let's turn over to Genesis 18. And I want to read a passage there. 
Genesis 18 that's dealing with some angels. <coughs> Genesis 18, verse 1. Pay close attention to how these verses are worded. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Here we have a reference to heavenly beings being in the form of a human man. In fact, it even goes as far to say the Lord spoke to him. Interesting concept. We'll get into that a little deeper as we go, but that's something else that we might see from a messenger. They, uh, turn over to Mark, though, chapter 12. I know we're going back and forth, but I want you to see these verses as we're going through this. Mark chapter 12. <coughs> Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 24. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken, because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. So here he's asked the question, you know, who will be married in heaven? Jesus says, no, there is no marriage in heaven. There, you'll be like the angels. So apparently the angels, angels didn't marry. There's no marriage. They're not thought of as being human beings in the fact that they have marriage or can have, be married. Turn over to Luke chapter 20. Let's read something else about them. <clears throat> Luke 20, verse 34 Jesus answered and said, And the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So here we know that angels cannot die. And Jesus is telling the disciples, Once uh, you, you have the death here of this life, you're raised again. You are like an angel in the fact that you cannot die again. doesn't say they are angels, though. I want you to keep that in mind. But he does say they are like angels who cannot die. So therefore, angels cannot die. They're not subject to death. They are created beings, as we read already. They are part of the creation that is to praise Jehovah. Turn over to Psalm 148. I want to look at a verse or two about that. One forty-eight, <clears throat> beginning in verse one. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord from the heavens! Praise Him in the heights! Praise Him, all His angels! Praise Him, all His hosts! Praise Him, sun and moon! Praise Him, all you stars of light! Praise Him, you heaven of heavens and you waters above the heavens! Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded, and they were created. I think this is well-known verses, right? It's a song we sing, is it not? Praise him, all the angels in heaven. Perhaps that's why they were created, to praise God. 
at least to do that. Of course, we know that they also minister us. They are created by Christ, among other things. And interesting concept. Turn over to Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read this. Because this kind of blows your mind when you think about it. Revelation 5. In verse uh, 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. In other words, you can't count them, right? This is John's vision, but they're innumerable. It seems like they would be just like the stars in the sky, right? You can't count them. They're innumerable. They're a massive number of them. And when you think about that in heaven, what that will look like. We can't fathom it in our fleshly mind, right? In our, in our thinking here on earth. But can you imagine what that's like with an, an innumerable host of angels singing and praising Jehovah? It's awesome to think about. It's something we can't really grasp very well, though, isn't it? Interesting. <clears throat> Another point I want to make, turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. And let's read a verse in there. When talking about uh, Christ being better, the Hebrew writer continues to talk about the fact that Christ was made above the angels. And he, he had, makes a statement in Hebrews chapter 2 about Christ coming to earth. And let's read what he says. He says in verse 5 there, For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjecting to angels. He has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. In other words, putting angels on the throne. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You set him over the works of your hands, and you put all things in subjection under his feet. In other words, we were created a little lower than the angels. They're heavenly beings. They're spiritual beings. For whatever that means exactly, we're not like angels. So when we go into the next life, we don't become angels. We were created differently. There's a different purpose for us. Angels are not capable of death. We've seen that already. They do have greater wisdom, though, and they have greater power. Just read that in Daniel 10, but they're limited. They have power to go up against the, principles of, the principalities of darkness. Just read, the angels detained for 29 days until Michael could come. Now, I don't know what that means or who he's up against or who was detaining him, but I don't think I would want to know or see who that was. At least not in the flesh, right? The angels had certain powers. They have abilities to do things. They can appear as a man. They can speak and deliver a message about the Messiah to come. Interesting, interesting concept about the angels. And another thing, too, to keep in mind is they've always appeared, and this is something that uh, you'll see in the media, they've always appeared as men. Not women or not children. A lot of art out there, little babies with the wings on their back, right? Or women, you know, glowing with white and wings. But angels are never depicted that way in the scripture. Never see a woman or a child as an angel. And 
except for the cherubim and seraphim, which you can read about in Revelation 8 and 14, they don't have wings. Much not that we know of. And we'll get into a study of the cherubim and the seraphim and kind of look at what their purpose is and try to understand exactly who they are and perhaps that they're not really angels that we think of like Gabriel or Michael. That they're different beings with a different purpose. We'll get into that eventually. So, we've already seen they have a classification apparently, right? We have an archangel. Michael is also referred to as a great prince. Michael's called a great prince who watched over Israel. That's in Daniel 12. He's also mentioned in Revelation 12 and verse 7. And he's talked about as being an archangel who looked over Israel, who was involved in the work of Israel, and that has caused many out there to think, particularly Jehovah's Witness and some others, will tell you that Michael was the pre-incarnate Christ. Right? Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in the Trinity. Okay? They believe there's one God. Jesus was, uh, he came and died for our sins, but he was not on the same level as God. I'm not exactly sure how they would explain that. But they consider Michael to be Christ before he came in the flesh. Interesting point. And they get that because he's talked about as being an archangel, being the watcher over Israel in the Old Testament, and so forth. Something to keep in mind. They're also called the chief prince, of whom Michael was one. Uh, <clears throat> and also, uh, some would include Gabriel in this classification. Of course, Gabriel came and told Mary about Jesus, going to be born, right? Call his name Emmanuel. And they also made the announcement to Zacharias and Mary. Daniel 10 is, uh, we hear the word prince, and that's again a term used as, as an angel or those who are, are ministering spirits and also, as I mentioned, perhaps even evil uh, angels. And then we have that phrase, the angel of the Lord. Turn over to Judges, and I want to read, actually, not Judges, turn over to Genesis chapter 16. I want to read this real quick. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 16. And uh, let's begin in verse 9. Now the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Here we have Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar was Sarah's maidservant. She came, uh, Abraham went into her, bore a child. That child became Ishmael. It was cast out because Sarah was jealous of her. And here we have the angel of the Lord speaking to her. Or is that actually the Lord? Interesting concept, right? We'll get into that at a later date. Don't have time for all that today. It appears to be an angel, though, who seemed to speak as the Lord himself. Whether that's a separate being or whether we're actually talking about God, we'll look at that. Then we have the cherubim, sought by some to be uh, a class of angels or an order of angels. We'll have a whole study on those two. It's a very fascinating study. I hope you're here for that Sunday. We have lots of verses, particularly in Revelation and the prophets, that talk about what the cherubim and seraphim did, how they interacted with God. 
or how they do to this day, what their purpose was. Of course, the cherubim we read about in uh, verses in uh, Genesis. In fact, let's go over there and look at Genesis chapter 3 and see something there about these cherubim. Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the bread and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord of God sent him out of the Garden Eden, Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Hmm. Here we have cherubim guarding the Garden of Eden so that Adam and Eve could not return. Look over to Exodus chapter 25 real quick. <clears throat> Chapter 25 and beginning in verse uh, 17. He says, You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Talking about the mercy seat that sat over the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end, and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testament that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. And of course you can go on, we'll read about, you can read about how the tapestries, the walls, had the cherubim, the designs of the cherubim and gold on the walls of the tabernacle and the temple. Apparently, these were beings that were part of the heavenly host who their main purpose was to be with God, to point out His great holiness, to point out His greatness. So perhaps these are not the angels that we think of that are messengers like Gabriel or Michael. You also have the seraphim, and we'll talk about those too eventually. Isaiah 6 has a good description about the six-winged creatures attending the Lord in his vision. And we can also read about these in Revelation chapter 4. I'm not going to have time to go read them. We talked about the, the uh, creatures with the different faces. And they appear to be very much like a cherubim or a seraphim. Seraphim meaning burning one. And perhaps you'll, when you see in Isaiah's vision, they are in the heavenly host praising God, singing his praises. And they are flying so perhaps these had wings. We're not sure about that, but we're not sure we would classify them as an angel. Interesting concept, too. All right, we're running out of time, but I want you to understand these are some terms that we'll get into. Well, this is a brief introduction, really. Uh, what the Bible has a lot to say about angels. It's easy to speculate about angels. I want you to keep a clear, open mind about it, and as we go through the Scriptures, think about what angels truly are and what their purpose was. All right, time is up.